What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and this week I'm going to be interviewing Stuart Bass. Now, Stuart and I are going to focus on Lemony Snickets, and it's a new series on Netflix, and it's pretty amazing. If you're a fan of the original movie, you'll definitely love this. If you're a fan of the books, you'll definitely love this. But we're going to talk about the difference between the broadcast system and the new Netflix system, as well as his approach to this whole show. With all that said, I hope you enjoy this interview with Stuart Bass. I'm wondering how you got involved with a series of unfortunate events. Uh, I started working with Barry on Notes from the Underbelly. And then we've done a couple of uh, pilots in there, and then um, we did Pushing Daisies together. Uh, this is Barry Sonnenfeld. And then a few more pilots. I think I've done maybe five or six projects with him. And when th- this show came up, I was the first one he called, and I made myself free, and uh, here I am. Because this is your first project on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yes. yes. So what would you say is the difference between working on a project for Netflix versus working on a project for television? Like, what are some of the uh, things that you had to adjust to in that process? I think the biggest change is the network executives. We're working with two guys, uh, Brian Wright and Ted DeFilly, who are really wonderful and they're not invasive. They kind of come to everything as collaborators and um, you have pretty smart suggestions, but they're purely suggestions that you can take or leave. So they leave Daniel Handler, who is a very close friend of Lemony Snicket's, and Barry, so in the writing process and then in the directing process, and then through the editing process um, and production. It's just terrific. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different feeling. So I was getting very frustrated working on network shows uh, where they were hugely evasive and, and, you know, making casting changes and changing the scripts uh, last minute. And, you know, uh, and then when we got into editing, they were, you know, making the show worse. And then and they wonder why the ratings are dropping and nobody's watching them. So it's, it's a huge contrast. You mentioned how the original, you know, if you worked on television, they might get involved in the editing process. Yeah. Was Netflix involved in any way, not, you know, forcing changes or anything, but uh, in a collaborative way? Oh, yeah. They're, and they're terrific. You know, they watch the show and they give their notes. And are, are the notes really any different than what you get from a, a major network? Maybe not. Yeah. But they're not given with the idea that you have to do them. That they're law. Yeah. And I think that's why you see shows like Stranger Things, like at HBO when uh, Chris Albrecht was there, you had kind of the same thing. Yeah. That's why you see shows come out that have more of a vision. Back when the, the networks were more like boutiques, they were smaller. They weren't, you know, an arm of a huge corporation. Mm-hmm. It's hard to think that, you know, NBC once was a boutique, but like, you know, Brandon Tartikoff was the president and they weren't as invasive then either, and you end up with kind of more creative network shows. Well, it seems like, from what I can tell, that they choose the right people or they choose the creatives that they like or see that they have a vision and let them just run with it. Yeah, you know, the a network, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, they are terrific. You know, their development 
team and they, 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 you know, they love their writers that they develop with and their producers and they hire the, the best they can find. But it's a relationship after that. I was on a, a network pilot and, and they used to refer to the network executives as it's a Steinbeck book, Mice and Men. That's that they used to call call the network woman that uh, Lenny, you know, the writers, you know. So it's it's not a matter of them not caring or not you know or not hiring the best. It's a, a matter of their relationship with the shows and their power. And and I I think a lot of that gets down to this. They're big corporations and they're not answering to people's heart. They're answering to the bottom line. They're, you know, it's unfortunate, but they, I mean, sometimes amazing shows get by like, uh, like the office being an example that you worked on. It seems that they let that go. Like let people run with that and create this amazing show. That was Kevin Riley at the time. Who's kind of on the outs, <laughs> but uh, but he yeah and he you know and he was very involved when we first developed the show the first eight episodes, but in a good way. This you cut the first two episodes for this series, yes. so I'm wondering in ter- like one of the things for cutting pilots or, or first episodes, you're given this task or you have to work with the directors, the producers, the writers to create the overall feel of the show you know how the show is going to be structured and look and feel and you know choose the acting sort of approaches so how did you approach cutting the first two episodes and work with the uh with barry and and everyone to get the show to work in this particular tone the only person i'm working with really is barry Anything that comes from the writers it gets filtered through him and Netflix, the same thing. And, you know, Barry and I sit and talk before we shoot about tone. And in this case, it was very similar to Pushing Daisies. There's a, a very similar kind of lyricism they were looking for. This one has a little more comedy than Pushing Daisies, but Pushing Daisies was ultimately a comedy. And on so much the same page in their comic styles, that it came together, uh, you know, my first cuts, Barry really liked them. The first scenes we did were the, the beach scene, when the orphans come to the beach, you know, the, the beginning of the episode. And the music choices I made and the, the rhythm when it goes faster and, you know, slowing things down a little more than normal and at certain points, uh, you know, I put it together and he was so excited he started showing the network these cuts early on right on a set as I was putting the dailies together. Were you nervous? So, you were like, wait, 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 let me finish. <laughs> uh, well, no, because I, I thought it looked really good. <laughs> and, and, you know, we had some composer cues, you know, that just work well. And, you know, you know, and uh, the way I work is I, I cut the dailies every day and I put the music and the sound effects and everything in as I'm cutting. So I mean, it looked great. And did you, because you mentioned working with the music. So did you have anything from the composers at that point? Or was that just your own choice? The composer, he had done other movies, so I used, I, you know, I like to try and stay within the realm of the composer that we're using. That might be more of a uh, habit from working with uh, other studios where they don't really allow you to do anything else. They don't attempt score from somebody else because then they can get into trouble. Now, the other thing I have to note, so getting into the show, mm-hmm. my wife and I both really love the opening titles. And I originally had written a note about them, and then I scratched it out, and I was like, you know, it usually goes off to a title designer, and 
someone does something. And then Chrissy emailed me and said that you had you had been involved in doing the titles. I was wondering, can you tell me about your involvement in the titles for this project? Yeah, it started with Barry had an idea. He wanted the titles to be different in every episode. The way he put it is he wanted it to look like Monday Night Football titles, which I had no clue what that meant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming he means the NFL and not like Friday Night Lights. I guess the NFL. Yeah, NFL, whatever. Yeah, NFL. But apparently they change it like the Simpsons, you know, you know, when the blackboard changes every week. That's what he meant. So he had asked Daniel Handler, the guy who knows Lemony very well, to write the lyrics for an opening title song. Then he, we went to uh, Nick Urata, who's the composer, and, you know, he wrote the, the music for it and, and sang the song. And then I got the credit copy came over to me and there were 22 credits to put into this. And I'm thinking like nobody wants to watch main title longer than like, you know, 40 seconds to a minute. And the 22 credits is like a lot to squeeze in. I think Stranger Things has like four. (laughs) And then, then they spill them into the show. So I put together with this temp that uh, Nick had made and the credit copy, I kind of put together like a template or a, a simulation. Can I, can I say how, what, you know, what 22 credits are going to look like in a minute against what kind of back plates and using, you know, using stuff from the show and ran it for Barry and he goes, that is a great idea. Come up to Vancouver and shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, and, and at the time I used the stuff that we had of, you know, Lemony's wall and the photos and, and such, and, and then cuts from the show. So, the, you know, the concept is basically that, you know, Le- Lemony is telling the story maybe 20 years after, and he's collecting evidence about what happened to the Baudelaire's. He's got newspaper clippings. And he's got police files, and he's got like the spy glasses. He's got props that have survived, and and then he's putting the yarn and the and the and the push pins and the photos together, like uh, you know they do for uh, police evidence in TV shows. They probably don't do it for real. <laughs> then, uh, you know, so the next thing I know, it's it's like. I'm in Vancouver and it's 7:30 in the morning, and I'm standing before a wall with push pins and yarn and photos, and I'm putting this thing together. And the DP Bernard Kutcher, he came over and he he got very excited and he pulled out a, a he had a snorkel lens and he had like lenses with bellows so we could like do weird focus maneuvers and stuff. And we we had a couple cameras, so we kind of broke broke ourselves into like two units. Cause I, and I had a shot list of about eighty shots I wanted to shoot. And we you know got all the shots for the main title, and came back to L.A. and worked with Nick a little bit to get the song in a structure that I could have an intro and middle part and, and, you know, for the, for the titling. And so, you know, we recorded the song in a a little different fashion and then put on my best rock video editor um, hat. (laughs) Hat. Yeah. Right. Then cut it together. I use Sapphire effects. I I love Sapphire effects. (laughs) It's like, it's so funny. So I, you know, I could use multiple layers. So, cause I wanted it to feel like, 
kind of archival footage that Lemony had found and might have survived fires and, you know, the years. And some of the stuff was shot in black and white film and some was maybe bad video. And so, uh, you know, I used all those plugins and Sapphire to do kind of a base layer. And then I used like vignette plugins so you can kind of focus your eyes to where you are. And they, they, they have a terrific vignette that lets you not only, you know, change the, the darkness, but also the focus. And then there's a, like a color layer above that to like throw all the color off. Anyway, put that together. Which is funny because I would have thought it would have been After Effects heavy. Uh, no, I just didn't have it. Yeah, because so I can move things around. And, and also, uh, yeah, the After Effects becomes a, you know, a different workflow. And then I hired uh, some friends of mine from Arrested Development, Ellen and Linda Kahn of a company called Twin Art, and they did the uh, titles for Arrested Development. They came up with the text and the text animation. Um, Now, Neil Patrick Harris, his character sort of spans a wide range of emotions and is sort of bigger than life, I guess you could say. So I'm wondering what the rushes were like or the dailies that you received from his acting like did he give multiple deliveries what was what was the footage like he works hard and he comes into the set you know very well rehearsed and there isn't a lot of variation he pretty much nails it oh really because sometimes i've gotten footage or i've seen footage where actors will give it in different ways so that you can sort of play with it in post but he's worked with barry beforehand to Hone what he wants. Yeah, you know he's got he's got chops. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's there, and yeah. and, and uh, you know, yeah, and there might be subtle differences, but there is there's not a, a range of, of selections for him. And the show's style is is very unique. So, were you given a lot of notes on how to approach? the editing style or was that you you were allowed to work with the the footage that's me i just <laughs> um of course i get notes after i do it but like i said barry and i both enjoy really uncomfortable moments on screen you know and holding things sometimes a little longer than it should an example is the point in the very beginning when Poe comes down and tells the orphans that they're now orphans and that their parents perished in a fire. So, you know, the trick's finding a deadpan look from the kids, you know, so I, I, and I can't remember if I did this or not, but it was probably involved having to slow down the shot, maybe split screen it so that you know, because I don't even want to see one of the kids blink. Yeah. Right? So, and it's kind of slowed down more than normal. And my initial cut of that scene, I had things really slow. So, you know, I'd use the master and the close-up and pose. So it, it really became like kabuki theater. Like Barry's first note was just a little too cutty. So then I, you know, I cut back on that, but still tried to, you know, keep the length longer. You know, there's a thing in there where if you look carefully, you'll see that Lemony is leaving the scene he leaves the scene when Poe comes. You can see it in the footage. Your eye gets distracted, but he leaves much earlier than he is. What I did is I cut a mat in the master and put Lemony in to keep him there longer. And then there was a piece of film where Patrick Warburton, it looked like he was going to say something and he just walked off. And I think it was more of a mistake than anything, but I used it. So it looked like he was going to have narration after Poe arrives and then he walks off. So that, you know, that extended the moment more and added another emotional 
speed. So that's pretty much an example of how much things get manipulated. Uh, you know, to to make it like way slower than what you'd want. There's an office episode called Healthcare. It was one of our yep. first episodes. And uh, Steve Carell kind of goes into a comatose <laughs> at one point <laughs> at the end. And it's almost the same thing where that had to be built out with slowdowns and, you know, people's reactions way more than the way it was performed. And I think you have to earn those moments, right? You, if, you, if you pace everything up until that and can keep things going, then you can earn that moment where something's playing more like, like a 1960s Italian movie, <laughs> you know? One of the other things that would have been tricky in this, and I don't know what your involvement would have been, but the original books were for younger readers, but what I've discovered in my research is that it has a huge fan base that ranges to adult. So were you cognizant of that in the cutting process? And were you uh, approaching the footage any differently to try and make sure that you kept the adult readers or the adult fans engaged? Or did you focus primarily on, on the young viewers? No, this is absolutely cut for adults. It's not cut for like a Disney show. If this was a Disney show, which I've worked on, they want to, everything's like colorful and has to just move along at a clip. And they'd be afraid of having, you know, you can have emotional moments, but you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't build them with that kind of, you know, intense, dramatic intent. I have one last question that I like to ask everyone, but we've already done an interview where I've asked you that question. So I do have a, a different question for you, and that is you've worked on some of the, you know, some of my favorite shows uh, and some of that have really left their mark on pop culture. So I'm wondering what shows haven't you worked on that you wish you had? Oh, boy. Uh, sometimes it's the opposite. Like, I would have wished that a lot of times I wish I wasn't done pushing daisies so I could have enjoyed watching them. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it, you know, and then it shows that I, I really, you know, I, uh, like, like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I, I love these shows uh, and I love watching them. And uh, it, it doesn't occur to me that, you know, if I was working on them, then I wouldn't be working on another show. So, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for letting me interview again. Oh, uh, sure. So that was my interview with Stuart. I'd like to thank him for taking the time to sit with me and discuss his work. If you ever have any questions, you can always get us at info at aotgnetwork.com, on Twitter at aotgnetwork, or via Facebook, facebook.com slash aotgnetwork. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>